basically means the pews will be flooded. Um, uh, but Ephesians chapter 1, I mean chapter 3, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, I need another cup of coffee, it seems. Um, and what we're doing is... Uh, we're basically going to unpack for you. There are some of you who have been coming around for a while. And uh, I have been, we have been negligent in saying, hey, you know what? Sooner or later, you should probably join. Um, and uh, with that sort of in mind, uh, uh, it seems reasonable, it seems right and appropriate to start the year with kind of a, a short little sermon series through what is really our first Three membership vows. Vows four and five would take more than one Sunday, so we'll save that for another time. But, um, so that is the plan. And I'm printing the vow for you in the bulletin so you can kind of see what's this guy operating for. I have, I know them. I ask people these questions all the time and have for, I don't know how many years now. But uh, I'm assuming not many of you have them memorized. Um, however, uh, this morning, we will look, we'll sort of unpack, if you will, uh, our first uh, membership vow, which, as you can see written there, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? Uh, so if you would, would you please give your attention to the reading of God's word? It is only three verses. If you're able, would you please stand uh, as we... Um, uh, come to uh, reading the very inspired word of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray as we uh, come to God's word together. Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work. Uh, Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. You have... Um, uh, revealed yourself, uh, your will for our salvation, uh, your your character, your person. Uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for embodying all of that for us in the flesh on the earth, uh, for your faithful obedience to the law that you wrote, um, that we might be redeemed. And Holy Spirit, it is your your job, your function, your kind of responsibility within the Godhead to be at work even now uh, in and through and by this word in our hearts, in our minds. Use it to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I don't go to um, movies very often. I don't really see the point of spending that much money. Uh, it has to either be really, really good or really, really important to one or more of my children that I go. Otherwise, I'll just wait till it shows up on whatever thing. I can watch it at home. It's easier that way. But if you ever go to a, if you ever go to like a matinee, uh, you know, you go to like some one o'clock showing, 
Um, it's a bright, sunny day. You go into the theater. You spend two hours in this theater. You walk outside, and the sun's still out. It's bright. It's shiny. The sun's reflecting off the white sidewalk, and you can't see. You kind of blink. You close your eyes. You stumble a little here and there. You wait a minute until you can sort of figure out which of these cars is actually mine because the sun's just so bright. The brightness of the the day, the sun, all the reflection off the sidewalk or the, the windshields, the glass around you, it's overwhelming. Well, in some ways, that's Paul's premise in Ephesians chapter 2. Part of what Paul wants us to do in, in writing this chapter, part of what he wants us to see is that the, the darkness of our sinful condition will make the brightness of um, life in Christ that much more overwhelming, that much more. Um, the darkness of our sinful condition will make us uh, appreciate uh, what it means to live in the light of Christ that much more. And it's that darkness that is the essence of our first membership vow. Trust me, it gets to Jesus pretty quick, those membership vows. But the, the, it's really the subject of this first membership vow. And the, the, the sinful condition is what uh, Paul sort of unfolds for us here in these first three verses. And there really are just th three things I want you to see in these verses. First... Um, it's the way he describes, I guess, our sinful condition. First, I want you to notice the depth of the darkness. Notice how he describes the natural man. Notice how he describes us apart from Christ. There's a, there's a word. It's, a, it's, a, it's an important word. Um, it's a word we all know and understand. And it's this word, Dead. The natural man, apart from Christ, is dead in his trespasses and sins. Now, clearly, Paul doesn't mean physically dead, right? Because then that means as soon as everybody was born, they would immediately die. There wouldn't be anybody to write to. There wouldn't be a Paul. There wouldn't be an audience for him uh, to, to write his, this letter to. But he's, he means spiritually dead. There's a, a spiritual death here on account of our trespasses and sins, it should immediately take your brain right back to Genesis 2 and 3. In the day that you eat of this fruit, you will die. Of course, Adam and Eve continued to live and even had children, but they were still dead. And so there's this, this picture then of... The natural man who is dead in his trespasses and sins, who set his, his heart against uh, God and has violated God's law. When you think about the depth of our darkness, right? I mean, you, you have to mention the Princess Bride, right? I mean, the image here, the picture here isn't someone who's mostly dead. That if you just make a fancy chocolate pill and help it to go down easy, then sooner or later he'll come back here. This goes visit Miracle Max. He'll make you the pill you need and poof, you're well again. The picture here isn't mostly dead. It isn't almost dead. It isn't 
in danger of dying, it isn't a picture of someone who's sick or someone who's cut really badly or someone who's bleeding. It's not even a picture of someone who's um, of kind of floating on the water about to drown, just waiting for someone to throw them the life raft, the little life ring thing. Here, just grab onto this and you'll be better. That's not the picture. The natural man left in his sinful condition is actually at the bottom of the ocean and has been since he was born. And, and in fact, things have begun to eat on his flesh and he's dead and he has no hope. And there's absolutely, you look at the body laying there at the bottom of the ocean and you go, what hope does this body that's been here for years have unless someone or something can give him life? can actually bring him to the surface, give him air and a new heart. It's the picture of someone who has no capabilities of spiritual good. It's the picture of someone who can't save himself or heal himself. If you're dead, you're completely dependent on someone else to give you life. So there's this picture, the depth of this darkness isn't mostly dead or almost dead or pretty bad off. It's dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And and in our deadness, in in that condition, we hate the things of God. We're hostile to God himself. And you notice the the reason for this condition in verse 1. The reason for the depth of this condition. It's our trespasses and sins. It's our violating God's law. It's our cosmic treason. It's our rebellion against the one who has made us and called us to be his own. Designed us to love and to serve him. But we... Born into the family of Adam, we inherit his original sin, his sinful condition. We're born into sin. But there's an odd combination of this adjective dead and the verbs he uses in verse 1. Did you notice? I mean, like, I hope you kind of read Ephesians 2, verse 1, and kind of scratch your head for a second and go, hold on a second. How can that person do those things? Did you, did you notice the language? Did you notice? You were dead, but you walked and you followed. How do dead people walk? How do dead people follow? How are dead people able to do those things? It's really... This really would be the the living dead. This would be the the right use of the living dead, right? You're actually alive in the body, able to walk and follow, though dead. But did you notice what it is we're following? Did you notice what we're walking after? Because, Because Paul shows us those three enemies that we all have. Those three enemies that, that we would do well to acquaint ourselves 
with so that we can be aware and be on our guard and be have our defenses ready. Notice the world, the devil, and the flesh. Notice in verse 2, uh, look at verse 2, the dead in sin follow the course of this world. It's a picture of people who, um, who think like the world around us, who think like whatever the sort of the common, um, the common thinking is of the day, the, the common mindset, the common mentality. It's a per- picture of someone whose worldview is marked and shaped by the things of this world and not by the things of the world that is to come whose worldview is marked and shaped by the, the teaching of the people around us and not by Scripture. This, by the way, is why we're starting a worldview class for six weeks in January and February, for this kind of very reason. And so Paul, Paul in describing this, this sinful man, he essentially asks the question of you, do you love the world and the things of the world? You can ask yourself, is my thinking shaped more by CNN and Fox News than by God's word? Is my thinking shaped more by the school system than Sunday school, by social media rather than by scripture? Part of the point here is part of the picture here is that the, the world around you isn't neutral. Right? The, the dead in sin are following after the course of this world and I hope you understand that Paul's saying, Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit is saying, and that's not good. Right, right? That's not an approval statement. There are prevailing philosophies. There are prevailing attitudes and thought patterns in the world around us that are contrary to God's word. And Paul wants us to think God's thoughts after him. He wants us to think Biblically, not like the world around us. Just think about it. The, the world you live in says, quite honestly, that you are the determiner of all of your morality. Unless, of course, someone else's morality contradicts yours, in which case now you have the right to tell, prove them wrong, to tell them they're wrong. The, the world we live in says that You are the measure of all things. That you are the determiner of all things good and true and beautiful and right. It tells you to look after you more than to look after other people. John will write in 1 John 2, Do not love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We're told, Paul writes back in Romans 12, that we actually need our minds, our thinking transformed, need it renewed by God's Word. In other words, the the dead in sin follow the course of this world. But the dead in sin also follow the prince of the power of the air. We follow, left to ourselves, the natural man, the dead in sin, follow the devil himself. You ever have that sense that, you know, like school kids playing on the playground, 
You're getting ready to play wiffle ball, kickball, bonker ball, some game we made up when we were teenagers. Sort of combination baseball, but with a Nerf soccer ball. You can beam people. It was great. And, and there's always, like, who are the captains, right? And then they start picking people. And the people lined up, the people that aren't yet on a team, aren't on a team yet. Right? They're, they remain neutral until they're chosen for a team. We have this notion that, that we're born neutral, waiting for whichever team to pick us, or, or more accurately, for us to decide which team we will be on. Kind of like that scene in O Brother, Where Art Thou? When um, uh, uh, Everett and um, the guys are all in the car and one of them's gotten saved and one sold his soul to the devil and, and Everett says, I guess I'm the one that remains unaffiliated. Nobody's unaffiliated. There's no such thing as unaffiliated. You're not teamless until someone comes along and selects you to be on their team. Now the, the reality is we belong to the world. We belong to the devil. We belong to in our deadness, in that spiritual separation from God. We we belong to the things of this world. We belong to the prince of the power of the air. In fact, even John will say, and, and we will get there, Lord willing, in February. In John 8, he'll look at the Jewish people. He'll look at the Jewish leaders and they're claiming privilege because they descend from Abraham. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. There is no neutral. There is no unaffiliated. But then we also see Paul goes on in verse 3 to point out that the dead in sin follow their own, their own flesh. How many times have you said, perhaps in jest, with a little tinge of hope that it might be true, the devil made me do it? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he tempted you to do it, but he didn't make you do it. For that matter, maybe it wasn't him at all. Maybe you're not such a big fish as some might sort of say. The point is, James 1 tells us it's our own sinful desires. It's our own flesh. We're faced with temptation and our sinful nature, our sinful desires want that which is in rebellion to God. Left to ourselves, we want to serve ourselves more than we want to serve others. In fact, Paul tells us in Galatians 5, ladies, you'll get there again, Lord willing, sometime this spring, that the flesh is at war with the Spirit of God. And for Jewish people, that meant a trust in their genealogy, a trust in their heritage, a trust in um, their salvation by doing the law things. For Gentiles, it meant satisfying the cravings of the body and the mind in immorality and idolatry and things of that sort. Paul shows us the, 
the depth of the darkness. It pervades every aspect of us. It's so deep in us that we can be described as dead apart from Christ. But then he also shows us the breadth of the darkness. Um, Again, the Southern Standard Version would be helpful. Right? We we need Bible translators translating in Southern English so that you can get the y'all in verse 1. Not the you singular and y'all were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you y'all once walked. Paul's not, of course, suggesting that y'all were like this, but I was never like that. I mean, this may be true for you, but it's never been true for me. I'm so much better than y'all. Y'all are described as dead in your sin Walking in these, this, this sinful uh, condition. But I have never had that issue. That, that's clearly not what he means. Because he'll go on later to describe himself as the chief of sinners. But remember the audience. The church in Ephesus would be primarily Gentiles. They're Greeks. He's he's writing to the church in in the city of Ephesus. And he's saying, y'all Gentiles were dead in your trespasses and sins. But notice the pronoun change in verse 3. All of a sudden, everybody's lumped in there together. Among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh. Paul points out like the rest of it. You are just like everybody else. You Gentiles are just like us Jews. There's no escaping this judgment and wrath from God that our sin deserves because we're all guilty of it. Your spiritual condition left to yourself is exactly like ours. And so Paul is simply lumping the Gentiles and Jews together. In fact, it takes him three chapters to do this in Romans. He does it in three verses in Ephesians. Paul simply wants to point out the fact that there's no escape. There's no out. There's no way for someone to come along and go, well, but I'm not like that. I don't have that problem. That's not true. I was pretty good. And God's really lucky to have me on, my, on his team because I hit home runs. And he knows it. And that's why he chose me because I'm really that good. Or because, actually, that's why I chose him because I knew he really kind of needed me. Now, Paul's point is we're all in this condition together. And David agrees. David writes that by nature in Psalm 51, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. There's this in our nature left to ourselves by ourselves. We are children of wrath and guilty of cosmic treason and deserving God's displeasure. Paul shows us the the depth and the breadth of this darkness Third, you've got to ask the question, then where on earth is the hope? Where's the hope? If if this marks 
us, if this marks everybody, where's the hope? Well, the hope is in the, the verb in verse 1. You were. Not you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. And already, you're three words into chapter 2. And you're already going, hold on a second. That means something has changed. Something has come along and, and they're now in some different condition. They have a new description. They have a, a new reality. If, if this isn't their reality now, but it was their reality then, then there's hope. There's clearly hope for them and there's hope for us. And yes, again, Lord willing, next Sunday we will get to our second membership vow and it will answer this question much more clearly. But Paul, in describing who they were, calls attention to the fact that you couldn't have changed your condition. You couldn't change what was true about you. And if it's not true about you now, then it must be only because of someone or something else. You see this sort of played out really in 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul gives a description of um, the sinful man, the unrighteous who will not inherit the kingdom of God, the sexually immoral, sexually immoral idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, and such. And then he goes on to say such were some of you. The point is not that, well, you people in Ephesus and you people in Corinth were like this, but the rest of the people might not have been. No, that's not his point at all. His point isn't to say, well, you have a different history, a different background than these people. No, he's saying not that your past is different, but your present is different. Your present condition, you were like that and now you're not. And the implication is there are some people who still are in that Old man, natural man, sinful condition. Paul's audience was dead, but now they're alive. Well, who's reading the letter? Who's getting this letter? Well, if you, if you go back and read the first couple of verses of chapter 1, he tells us he's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus. And again, clearly that's not saints, the people who are better than everybody else. Because they were once dead in their trespasses and sins. Now this is He's writing to the church. He's writing to people who have come to saving faith in Christ. He's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who trust in Christ alone for their salvation. And who claim openly, gladly admit, this is who I was. Imagine walking into a room and taking a vow that says, imagine um, rushing for a fraternity or sorority. And you walk in the room and the first thing you say is, I'm, 
I'm not like any of you. I, I, I have absolutely nothing to offer you. You have no reason in the world to let me into this sorority. That's what it takes to join the church. Right? You literally have to walk in the room and go, hey, by the way, in order to join this club, the first thing I have to do is admit I don't belong in the club. And what's amazing is everybody in the room who will turn the keys and admit you to membership or you know whatever is going to say, hey, guess what? Same. That's the Me Too movement we really kind of need to bring around, right? Some of you here this morning may very well still be described by, by verses 1 through 3. You haven't moved past verse, past verse 3 yet. You're still left in your sinful condition. Your verb is still present tense. It's not past tense yet. This passage warns you that you rightfully deserve God's displeasure. But it also informs you that there's hope. That there's hope in Christ. That there's hope for forgiveness. That there's hope for being made alive. There's hope for a new condition. But if this passage describes you and you are a were, the were, the, the verb, the past tense verb works for you because you have been made alive, because you are in a new condition that isn't these verses. Then it reminds you there's only one explanation. And actually it's, it's portrayed for us in this table, Right? The only possible explanation is the grace of God in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that does actually reveal our sinful condition to us, whether past or present. It even warns us of the future should we remain in that sinful condition. But Father, we also thank you that you've revealed to us, you've made known to us the, that there is forgiveness, that there is a hope, that there is in Christ that the past tense verb can be past tense for us and not our present tense. And better, not our future tense. Would you use this, your word, and even this, your table, as we come to it in just a minute, to strengthen and encourage our faith, to grow us in a longing to see others become words. Would you use us to advance this gospel message? We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.